your Bibles tonight, I invite you to take them and go with me to the book of Ruth, chapter number one, please. The first chapter in the book of Ruth. And I just want to um, I just try to help you just a little bit tonight. I, uh, I, I don't know that uh, we'll be here a long time, uh, but uh, I do want to just share a, a message that the Lord has, has laid on my heart. And of course, we're coming into the end of one year and the beginning of, a, of another year. And, um, and I want to I encourage you towards growth and, uh, and, and, and towards uh, trying to avoid uh, being stagnant and just sort of staying uh, maybe where you are um, and just seeing what, what is it the Lord might have for, for me and, and what might the Lord have me to do and how might the Lord have me to grow uh, in, the, uh, in the days to come. The Bible says in Ruth chapter number one and verse number one, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab, and I want you to notice the last three words, and continued there. The Bible tells us in verse number one that they went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Then we're told in verse number two that they, that they continued there. If we were to keep reading, we would dis- discover that they dwelt in this land of Moab for at least a decade. Ten years they spent in this place. And I just have to imagine that as they, as they fled Bethlehem, Judah, and they were making their way to Moab, that they probably said to one another, we won't stay here too long. We're, we're just going to go here. We're just going to take a brief respite. There's not much food in, in Bethlehem, Judah, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to get away from this for a time, but we won't, we won't be here for a long time. And yet, as so often is the case, good intentions and a, and a thought or an idea of, you know, we're just going to do this for a period of time, it's real easy sometimes to get comfortable somewhere and end up staying there perhaps much longer than God would have ever had us to stay there. Truth of the matter is, there's a lot of questions in my mind whether God was ever leading them here to begin with. Several years ago, uh, in fact, I think it was the first year that my wife and I were married, we, um, or maybe it was, a, maybe it was a, a year or so into our marriage, we hosted, she and I hosted a New Year's Eve party at our home. And, um, and, and we, were, we, we were married, my wife and I were, but we were married at a young age, and so most of our friends at that point in time were all single. And so, and so when we were inviting who was going to come to this party, to this event, uh, you know, we were inviting our friends, the vast majority of them were single, they weren't married, and, and so that was primarily who it was that was coming, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't um, you know, husbands and wives, and it wasn't parents with, with children or small children, but it was primarily uh, young people who were coming to our home that night. And we had plans to, uh, you know, just to eat some food and play some games and just to enjoy one another's company. And I'm, I, I foolishly was, was dwelling under this assumption that when the clock struck midnight, the New Year's Eve party was over. Because at this point in time, it's now New Year's Day. It's no longer New Year's Eve. And, uh, and, and so that was, you know, that's the way I, that's the way I was raised. You know, if, uh, you know, if we were going somewhere on New Year's Eve, hit midnight, we'd be around for another 10 or 15 minutes, and we were out the door because we were tired and we were heading home. And I will never forget, I will never forget, that clock struck midnight, and, uh, and I thought, man, oh, really cool, happy new year, everybody, this is great. 
And, uh, and I started thinking, okay, um, let's see, let me go, go grab the coats from the bedroom. And, you know, there's your shoes right there. And nobody was stirring, getting ready to leave. Everybody just kind of hung out and stuck around. And I thought, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe it'll be a half an hour or so. And would you believe it was about 3 a.m. when the last guest left our home? And I, that was the last New Year's Eve party we have ever thrown and don't expect me to throw another one after an experience like, uh, like that. Um, I, I, I just, myself as an individual, I, I've always been trying to be very conscious when visiting someone. I was taught, I suppose, not to, not to stay too long. Um, there was a phrase that I learned when I was a boy, and it was this, don't wear out your welcome, you know. Go uh, and, and just sort of be able to read the room, you know, when people start yawning, you know, or when they, you know, when they, you know, it gets a little awkward, it might be time, it might be time to get out the door. Um, in our text, we, we have a family who, who traveled to a location with the intent, I, I have to believe that they weren't going to stay very long. They were just going to sojourn. And they were just going to travel there. They were going to visit there for a time. But, but the Bible tells us in the very next verse, as so often is the case, they continued in that place. Ten years would come and go, and a whole lot of other changes would occur in their lives before they would leave this place called Moab. I believe that this, this location for them was outside of God's will, but can I, can I just say for a moment, isn't it, isn't it amazing to see the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God to redeem this period in their lives? Even though they're, they're, they, they didn't belong in Moab, even though they should have never gone to Moab in the first place, God took a, something that they did that they should not have done, and God, God, God overcame it for some level of good, even though we, we discover certainly some hardship and difficulty as a result of their fleeing to this place. I believe some powerful lessons, and really maybe even some practical lessons can be learned from Elimelech and from Naomi's flight to Moab. You see, all of us are tempted to flee during moments of crisis and adversity. Uh, we, we call this idea the idea of to fight or to or fight or flight. When we deal with crisis, when we do the problem, you're either going to stick around and you're going to face it head on, you're going to fight it, or you're going to flee. You're going to run away as fast as you possibly can. And that dwells within all of us, is this, uh, this desire to flee, to get away from the problems and to get away from the issues that we arrive at in moments of crisis and adversity. And we must fight at times to stay where we are if we sense the Lord maybe has led us into a valley or perhaps the Lord has led us into a time of hardship. You see, God leads us to the mountaintops just as well as sometimes he leads us to the valley. God leads us to the good times just as well as sometimes he leads us to difficult times, understanding that the difficult times are moments in which we can exercise our faith and moments in which we can grow in, in immense ways. This couple, uh, this couple, Elimelech and Naomi, they chose the, the opposite approach. Rather than fight through what they were dealing with, rather than just to stick it out and trust the Lord during a moment of difficulty. Instead, they traveled to Moab uh, with the intent, certainly, that we're not going to stay too long, and yet we discover in verse number two that they continued there. I want you to consider with me some lessons that are learned uh, from this short trip that turned, turned into a decade of time in Moab. I want to say, first of all, number one, 
I think we understand and we discover here in this text that bad things can happen anywhere. Bad things can happen anywhere. In verse number one, there's a bad thing happening in Bethlehem, Judah. And that bad thing is it's a famine. It is a very grievous famine. It's so bad of a famine that a family who likely has lived in this place in their entire existence, that they pick up everything and they leave everything behind, everyone that they know, their life, their career, their family, their friends, perhaps their, uh, you know, their, their, uh, the group of people that they worship with and, and, uh, and their way of life, their language and their culture, and they leave all of it because things are so bad in Bethlehem, Judah. But notice what the Bible says in verse number three. While in Moab, while continuing there, look, Look what happens in Moab. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. So here's, here's the point. The point is they were fleeing death to get from Bethlehem, Judah, to Moab. And yet when they arrived at Moab, what happens? We don't know how long into their time in Moab and their sojourn in Moab that Elimelech dies, but at some point or another, he, he dies in that place. But the story doesn't end there. Look with me in verse number five. The Bible says, and Nalon and Chilion died also, both of them. Where does this happen? It happens in Moab. And so I want you to understand that the, 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 the Bible is clear that bad, difficult, challenging things will happen anywhere. The, the, the truth is that we live in a, we live in a sin-cursed world. And, and, and in our minds, we think, well, you know, life is really challenging, but that's because I live here. If I were to move, if I were to move to this place, I have a friend who lives here, and if I were to move here, oh man, life would be so much better if I just, if I just lived somewhere other than here. And I just want to help you understand something. There might be certain elements that might be easier about living somewhere else, but I want you to understand something. Listen, bad things happen everywhere. There's no such thing as paradise here on this earth. There is going to be difficulty. There are going to be challenges no matter where you are. We think about this famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the, was the place where they were from. They were Hebrews. The, they were living. They were dwelling in the land of promise. And sometimes we dwell under this assumption or this idea, well, the reason I'm struggling is because I, maybe I'm not in God's will. If I can just get into God's will, then all of my problems would come to an end. <laughs> but what do we discover in Scripture? we discover that famines come even to those dwelling in the promised land. That those that, have, uh, that, that are where God wants them to be, they're dwelling in Bethlehem, Judah, that the famine happens there. And I began to think of, of different Bible characters who were where God had planted them, where God had put them, and yet they still had difficulty to deal with. I, I thought to myself, you know, Joseph. Joseph was in God's will. I mean, he was, he, he was doing what, what God had, had given him to do. He was, he was the, 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 the person that God would have him to be as a young 17-year-old boy, and yet, and yet he was sold into slavery. He was dwelling under his father's roof, right? I mean, the Bible is clear about honoring your parents and about obeying your parents. As far as I know, Joseph was doing those things, and yet he was sold into slavery from that place. What about when he, when he was lied about by, by Potiphar's wife? Wasn't Joseph in God's will? Of course he was. He was resisting temptation. He was, a, he was a man of great integrity and character. He was, uh, he was the steward of Potiphar's house, and, and, and he was doing everything that he was supposed to be doing. And yet it was from that place that Joseph was lied about, and he was cast into prison even. 
So when you start to think to yourself, well, wait a minute, I'm in God's will. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a member of a good church and we're raising our family to love the Lord and we're giving and we're serving and we're, we're sacrificing and, and, and we would just expect that if we're doing all of these things, then certainly wouldn't God's favor be upon us and wouldn't good things be happening? And I'm just here to tell you, listen, that sometimes famines even come into those dwelling in the promised land. Sometimes even living in Bethlehem, you can, you can enter into a, a period of famine. How about Daniel? Daniel, of course, we discover in Daniel chapter number one that he was taken in one of the first uh, removals into captivity from those that were dwelling in the promised land. And Daniel, all throughout his time there in Babylon, he, is, he does God's will, and yet, and yet what happens? At a certain point in time, there's such hatred towards him that a law is fashioned, and, and Daniel determines, I'd rather do what God would have me to do. I'd rather do right than obey the king. And Daniel keeps praying, and we would think, okay, well, Daniel, you're, you're, you're doing what God would have you do, so he's going to put some shield of protection around you. I'm not sure how it's going to happen, but Daniel, you're not going to that lion's den because you're doing God's will. And yet what happens? He's arrested. He appears before the king. The king is regretting the law that he signed, but it's too late. He signed it. He can't go back on it. It can't be reversed. The king says, I have no choice but to throw you into the lion's den. So even, even a, a man like Daniel, dwelling in God's will, is cast in the lion's den. We could, we could go on and on. The three Hebrew children, weren't they in God's will when they were cast into a fiery furnace? Wasn't John the Baptist in God's will when he was put in prison for preaching the truth? And when his head was taken off, was, was Jesus in God's will when he was betrayed and tried and beaten and mocked and crucified? Was James the apostle in God's will when Herod had his head cut off in the book of Acts? Was Peter in God's will when he was arrested for preaching in the name of Jesus? I mean, the, again, the list could go on and on of people who were doing exactly what God had put them here on this earth to do. They were dwelling in the promised land, and yet, and yet, they still came into a period of hardship. So what I'm saying is that when you enter into that period, you can do one of two things. Daniel entered that period, and he said, listen, I'm going to keep on praying. Uh, the, the others entered into that period, and they said, I'm going to keep doing Joseph in that period. And he said, listen, I know I'm living in Egypt. I know nobody's here to keep track of me. But how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You're another man's wife. And he just kept doing the right thing. And yet we come to the book of Ruth, chapter number one, and, and, and Elimelech and Naomi, they enter into a period of hardship while dwelling in the promised land. And instead of just sticking it out and just saying, listen, Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to follow you. We're going to believe that you're going to help us through this. Instead of that, they fled, and they still suffered problems even in the place where they ran to. Let that be a lesson to us. Because what happens, ends up happening oftentimes is as things get hotter, as the pressure begins to build, we begin to look for a way out. Where can I go? Where can I run to? How can I escape this, this issue? I think to myself that they were sitting and dwelling there in Bethlehem, Judah. Somehow, someway, they must have gotten word that things were better in Moab. And isn't that sort of the way that things work? You know, there's, there's an old adage that you're certainly familiar with that says this, the grass is always greener on the other side. And we, we, we chuckle a little bit when we hear that because we're all familiar with it. It just seems to be there's just something about where other people are that just looks better to us. And of course, we're living, we're living in a day and age in which, you know, with the advent of social media, you know, everyone's lives are being played out in front of us. And so it's, 
it's not unusual perhaps for you to, to look at your social media feed and, and to see and, and look at someone and sort of maybe begin to be a little jealous over the life that they're living compared to the life that you're living. And what you don't know and what, what, I've, what God has sent me here to tell you tonight is this. Nobody has a bad day on social media. Well, that's not true. There are some people that every day is a bad day for them, the way they talk and the way that they complain. But then there are some people in which they position every, every photo to look just perfect. Recently, I was with one of my children, and they, we'd, gone to, we'd gone somewhere, and, and they had ordered a, a, a fancy, one of those fancy coffee drinks. And, uh, and we got into the car, and, and I noticed I said they had ordered one of those fancy coffee drinks. I don't, I don't, number one, I don't drink coffee to begin with, and number two, I certainly don't drink the, the fancy stuff at all. But when they got into the car, they, they pulled their phone out, and they said, before I take a sip, i got to take a picture. I said, why, why do you got to take, well, it's what you got to do, you know, this is, this is the way it is, you know. And, and, uh, and I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, we, only, we only take pictures when, when life is good, Right? When, when we, you know, we sit down, you know, if you, if you went to a restaurant and you ordered something and they brought it out and it didn't look very good, you wouldn't pull your phone out and take a picture of it unless you're going to complain about it, you know, maybe make a review. This is what I ordered, but this is what I got. Don't eat in this place. But normally we, and, and, and everything's got to be perfect, you know, we, and sometimes, you know, we, we live in, you know, when I was a kid growing up, you took one picture and you hoped for the best, <laughs> Right? Not sure how this one's gonna turn out. But now you can take three pictures, you look at all of them, they're still not good enough, let's repose this thing, let's start all over again, right? And, and so the idea here is, is we're living in a world in which, in which every, every image that we're bombarded with looks like life is perfect in somebody else's life. Somehow, some way, word trickled to Bethlehem Judah. And maybe there was a great migration of people from, from Judah to, to Moab during this period, or maybe, maybe it was just this family, I don't know. But somehow word came, hey, listen, life is better in Moab. Let's go there. Maybe they thought about it for a time. Maybe they even, maybe they even prayed about it. But you know sometimes how these prayers work? Sometimes we've already made up our mind. I'm gonna pray about this, but I've already decided what I'm going to do. I'm just, I'm just hoping that God's gonna give me the green light. And if he doesn't, well, I'm just gonna proceed anyways. Perhaps maybe that, that, that's where they were coming at this thing from. We're, we're, we're going, it doesn't really matter, but we're gonna, we're gonna just ask the Lord if he's okay with it before we go. And so there's this perception, hey, we, we're having problems here in Bethlehem, Judah. Life is difficult, there's a famine here. But somebody told us there's no famine in Moab. You can go there and you can eat to the full and you can live a good life and you can live a blessed life. And no doubt, looking out from the famine in Bethlehem, Moab looked really, really good. You know, many live by the principle that they not make a major decision during moments such as this. For at that time, anything, anything looks better than where they are currently. I think that'd probably be a good way to live. You know, wherever you are, just, just, just ride this thing out because, because whatever I'm looking at is going to look better than where I'm at currently. So just be patient. But obviously, they didn't do that. And they traveled to Moab, and they discovered heartbreak there as well as heartbreak in Bethlehem, Judah. No doubt, the first few days as they settled in looked like, man, this was the right move. First few weeks, first few months, Maybe the first few years in Moab went pretty smoothly. Maybe they began to get really, really comfortable in that place. Maybe they began to convince themselves, hey, we made the right choice. We heard people are still struggling in Bethlehem, Judah, but we're not struggling here. 
The Bible doesn't give us the timeline of Elimelech's death found in verse number three or Malon and Chilion's death found in verse number five. But here's what we discover. We discover that heartache visited them in Moab just as it would have visited them in Bethlehem, Judah. The point is this, no matter where you live, no matter where you live, you have challenges. You have issues. Some of you, you're looking at 2024 and you're saying, well, here's, here's what's gonna make our lives better. Here's what's gonna make everything better. This is, gonna, this is really gonna be a, a, a huge help. And, 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 and in your mind, you've convinced yourself because anything is better than where you're at right now. Perhaps maybe, just maybe the Lord has directed us to Ruth chapter number one to remind us, well, listen, famine periods happen anywhere. Famine periods happen for those living right smack dab in the center of God's will. And just, just the idea of fleeing to a place where it looks like the grass is greener doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to, do, to be. Let me say secondly, as we continue in this journey through this particular text, we discover that brief detours can lead to life-altering decisions. The Bible reveals that they, in verse number one, that they came to Moab as guests. They're just there to sojourn. The word sojourn, it means to turn aside from the road for a lodging or any other purpose as a guest. So it carries with it the specific idea of being a guest somewhere. So, you know, perhaps you're thinking 2024, you're thinking of vacation. Where will we go to vacation? My, my wife and I have said this often. We, we, usually when we go on vacation, we love where we go. But at a certain point in time, we, we say, you know, this is great, but we would never want to live here. It's a great place to visit, but it's not a place that we'd want to live. And, uh, and, 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 and perhaps maybe you've, you, you've been down that, that path before. That's what the word sojourn means. It means to, to turn aside from the road, from your traveling as a guest. And so their, their trip to Moab, I, I, don't, I believe this all my heart, it was not supposed to last a decade. It was to be a brief break or respite from the famine in Bethlehem, but it turned to be much more and last much longer than what they had intended. I see that in verses two and verse number four that they literally, they settled in Moab as residents. I mean, they, 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 they joined an affinity with this place. The Bible says they continued there. In verse number four, look at the Bible says, the Bible says that the two boys, they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. So they, they, they came as guests. Be careful, be careful where you turn aside. Be careful where you lodge you and your family for even just a short period of time. In your mind, you might think, well, we're not gonna be here too long. This is just a season. This is just a, a brief period in our lives in which we find ourselves in this place. But be careful. Be careful because brief detours just stops along the way, turning aside to a place might end up, might end up leading to life-altering and life-transforming decisions. In verse number four, the Bible says they married them wives Verse number two says that they continued there, and that may seem insignificant to some of us. What's the big deal? We must remember that God's plan for his people was that they live in the land that he had promised, that he had given to them. A great emphasis is found throughout the Old Testament about the, the land. 
The land was a gift from God to his people, and God promised his blessing on his people in the land if they would observe and do all that he had commanded them. By the same token, he promised to bring his wrath upon them if they were disobedient in that same land. So it really wasn't so much about the land as it was about obedience to God. And what's interesting is that, that you, you, you're following, the book of Ruth is following the book of Judges, and it's likely that Perhaps what takes place in the book of Ruth might find itself somewhere in the timeline of the book of Judges. And, uh, and, and we read the book of Judges, and it's one of the most troubling books in the Bible. God's people were involved in all different types of sordid and wicked behavior. And what do we discover? We discover a pattern there, don't we? And the pattern is sin and rebellion, which leads to captivity and bondage, which leads to crying out to God for mercy, and God brings a deliverer, and they're delivered, and they're free for a period of time before they fall into that same cycle all over again. And what, I, what I'm thinking to myself as I read this text of Scripture, if it's happening during the period of Judges, well, then what is happening in Bethlehem, Judah, is, 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 is happening because God's people have, have violated his laws, and they violated his commands. And so this thought of, well, we can live any which way we want to, and then when God brings judgment, then we run away from that judgment, and we don't have to experience that judgment, is really a, is really a mistaken way of thinking. And so we see here that, uh, that they, 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 they went to Moab just to be a guest. We're just going to be here for a time. And yet they settled as residents. And I believe a strong case can be made that this famine that they were enduring in Bethlehem Judah had come as a result of God's judgment on them for their sinful ways. Can I just tell you, listen, the answer, the answer in, in, in a period of judgment is not to run from that judgment, but it's rather to own up to what we've done and to repent of our sin and get right with God. Don't you suppose that would have been a better uh, solution than running from Bethlehem Judah to Moab? What would have happened if, if, even if it was just Elimelech and his family, and they just got down on their knees and they said, Lord, we're sorry, whatever role we've played, if we played a role in this, Lord, if we've, if we've violated your law, if we have run uh, far away in rebellion to your, to your commands, Lord, we're sorry, we repent of that, and, and we, can't, you know, we can't do anything about anybody else, but as Joshua said there in Joshua 24, but as for us, we're going to serve the Lord. Well, that would have been a whole lot better of a solution than to do what they did which was to run as fast as they could from God's judgment to a place, uh, to a place where there were going to be bad things that would happen there anyways. And here's, here's again what we understand. We understand that you, you, you and I, we cannot run from the chastening hand of God. God always knows. God always sees. God's always aware. The third and final thing that I want you to notice tonight from this particular text is we discover here that children raised in Moab Marry Moabites. Children that are raised in Moab will end up marrying Moabites. Again, in verse number four, and Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Actually, I read verse five. Look at verse four. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. Now, we discover a troubling thing here in Verse number four. And that troubling thing is that in Deuteronomy chapter number seven, God made it very clear who his people were to marry. Hold your place here, if you would, in Ruth chapter one and go back a couple of books to Deuteronomy chapter number seven. I want you to see how clear God was. There could be no, you know, there, there are some, I think we'd all admit that there are some gray areas in scripture in which we're able to perhaps judge, exercise a little bit of our Christian liberty 
but this is, this is not one of those areas. Look what, look what God told his people in verse, in verse number three of, of, of Deuteronomy 7. The Bible says, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Speaking of the people in the land surrounding them, those that were not Hebrews, thou shalt not marry them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Now notice why, verse number four. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. I understand that the relationship of marriage is uh, perhaps the most intimate of all human relationships. It's the closest. And God designed it that way. God designed that it be very, very close, and it be very unique and very special. God's plan was that his people marry among themselves. And can I, just, can I just say that I believe God's plan is still that way. I believe that if you're a young person here tonight and you're single, you are not married yet. And you ought not to even entertain for a single second marrying someone who does not know Christ as their Savior. Not for a second that you would even think about that. I think we can make clear application here from the Old Testament, but I think it's, it's obviously further taught in the New Testament as well. So it was forbidden by God that his people married pagan and heathen people. God forbade it because it would bring heartache to parents who would watch as their children would marry someone who worshipped another god. And God, God said this, by the way. I'm not, I'm not just telling you. See, sometimes people say, well, you preachers, you know, you, you always think that it's going to work out. No, God said it would work out this way. God said that if you, sure enough, you marry, you allow your son, you allow your daughter, you be a young person, and you marry someone who doesn't know your God, and, 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 and we convince ourselves, well, I'll change them. But you know what God says? God says that won't happen that way. The law of averages says that they'll change you, that they'll impact you. And, and, and again, we, we, we look at it and we say, well, it can't be all that bad. They're such nice people. I'm just here to tell you, listen to the word of God. Do what God says, because we discover very clearly God's plan for his people. I just have to think that Naomi and Elimelech, they were aware of what God's view for marriage should be, but the problem is, is that they're living in Moab, and there aren't Hebrew girls for their sons to marry. There's only Moabites. Their sons get to a point where they want to get married, and the problem is they don't know any girls that know their God. They don't have any relationships with anybody. There's no one living near them that worships the way they do and believes the way that they do and embraces the things that they embrace. So they've got a real problem on their hands. And what I'm saying is you, you raise your children in a place like Moab and don't be surprised when your children end up marrying girls that are from that land and that have those philosophies and those ideas. Notice, we discover not only that children raised in Moab marry Moabites, but children raised in the world will be worldly. What should you expect from boys that were raised in a place like this? I'm sure they probably, by this point, they began to speak the Moabite language. Perhaps they even received some level of a Moabite education. No doubt they were quite familiar with and and, and, and assimilated into Moabite culture. We find them marrying Moabite women. And had they lived long enough, it doesn't seem like either one of them did, but had they lived long enough, listen, they would have raised Moabite children. 
What I'm saying is if we allow the influence of this world to do so, we will discover that our children, listen, our children will become Moabites. And God has given, given us the command not to raise Moabites. God has given us the command to raise the people of God, children of God, children who know God and children who know his word and live by his word. Their marriage to Moabite women was symptomatic of who they were. See, they no longer identified as Hebrews. They'd been in Moab so long that that was part of who they were. Now they viewed themselves as Moabites, fully immersed in Moab culture and Moab ways and Moab life and living. All of that, all of that. Listen, all of that because of a sojourn. Because of this, this thought or this idea, well, we won't, we won't be here too long. I'm just simply saying that as you look ahead at your life and at your future, perhaps maybe you've entered into a season of challenge, of difficult, maybe a season of famine. You're trying to decide, well, how do I, how do I get out of this season of famine? I think you need to ask yourself a question. Well, have I, have I done something to bring this famine on? And if you haven't, then understand, listen, bad things happen no matter where you're at, no matter where you're living. You can be right in the middle of God's will and discover challenging, difficult things are going to happen. And so we stick it out and we wait on the Lord and we trust in God. God will be faithful. I think this is true in homes and families. I think it's true in individual lives. I think it's true in churches. I think sometimes churches enter into maybe a famine period in which maybe we're just not seeing as much happen as we'd like to. And maybe we start to look around and we see maybe other churches that are thriving and that seem to be doing so well. And we, we're tempted maybe, maybe to adopt some of their ways, maybe to sojourn just a little bit and do some things a little bit differently. I think the answer is that we just wait on God. We just trust the Lord. And we just say, listen, Lord, we're going we're gonna to double down and we're going to get right back to doing what we know that you would have called us to do. And we're just going to be faithful. We're going to trust you that you're going to bring us out of this thing. We're going to wait on the Lord. So as you think ahead, as you look at your life, and you think about decisions and choices that need to be made, things that you're trying to decide about, remember, remember this warning that comes to us from the book of Ruth, chapter number one. And understand that, you know, we might go somewhere just to go as a guest, just to be there for a short time. I don't plan to be here long. Sometimes, sometimes we end up finding we really like it here. This is easier than what we were dealing with before. Then remember the end of the story. And remember, remember what unfolds there. And remember that bad things happen in Moab just as they were happening in Bethlehem. And remember that at the end of the story, we have a mother-in-law who returns. We know the rest of the story. She returns and they, they say, is this Naomi? She says, don't call me Naomi. She says, call me Mara because I'm bitter. She says, I went out full and I came home empty. Think about that. Did she go out full? Not in a physical sense. She was, she was hungry. That's why they left. By the time she could finally look at the whole picture, she could understand, no, I was a whole lot fuller than I realized. She didn't take time to count God's blessings. She didn't take time to think about where this decision would lead her and her family and some of the challenges. And again, please don't misunderstand me. Obviously, God redeemed some of this because God is faithful and God is good. But I'm trying, perhaps, for some, trying to warn and to encourage and to help that we be careful that we don't sojourn in the wrong place and go there just as guests. We're just going to be here for a short time, and we end up staying much longer than we anticipated, and we discover in that place bad things happen just like it happened 
where we currently might be. Perhaps maybe it's a place in which our children will, you know, we, we might be able to withstand some of these things. I think Elimelech and Naomi, I think in their mind, they thought we're always going back. But I think had those boys lived, they'd have never returned. They were Moabites. They had married Moabite women. Mom and dad might have gone back. But at a certain point in time, it would have been, we've been here longer than we've been anywhere else. This is home. This is life. This is who we are. All from a, all from a soldier. 